I tried an Apple Vision Pro for all of three minutes, so now I am an expert on it. Plus, Sony teased that the PlayStation VR 2 might be coming to PC. Tonight is February 25th, 2024, and the Bobby Blackwell Show featuring your calls and chat comments is up next. So, so you would say even uh, if... Okay, I'll let you go. You talk. Wow, what what happened to your voice? Thank you, Skype. So, video games, that's what the show is about. This is that one, Akia Ripper from uh, Sweden. And what's with all the Halo hate, Bob? You've been hating on Halo a lot lately. I, I just don't like shooters. I'm not saying it's a bad game, I just don't like it. Billy OK says he can't be seen in public playing games that aren't hardcore. What would people say? And what up, G and Chad is once again talking about wrestling. That's why it's it's not because they hate the fans. It's more because they have to start from scratch. Uh, hogwash. Later. From a little room in Atlanta, Georgia, Bobby Blackwolf. That's right. Get your drinks ready for all the VRAR talk tonight because it's all happening. And then Pod Culture is going to leave right after that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, a, a drinking edition. I guess there's a drinking game about this part. Drinking edition of the Bobby Blackwell Show, where we discuss the current news affecting the video game industry, as well as sometimes reminisce about gaming's history. My name is Bobby Blackwell. If you're joining us live here on this Sunday night, where I am alone tonight, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I really do appreciate it when, it's, when it is just me. Uh, we do tape the show just about each and every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at the Voice of Geeks Network Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Network, right before Orange Lounge Radio, which is not going to be on tonight, so you get just me for an hour, uh, and it's going to be just us. So uh, Rob, is uh, he's put it on social media. He's on the Star Trek cruise. Uh, he's uh, gotten to meet some celebrities, uh, some in ways he did not imagine. Uh, he's got a story. It is not my story to tell, but I heard it today. I can't wait for you all to hear it next week. Um, all right. So, uh, so yeah, so we do tape the show live on Twitch. If you cannot be here live, I completely understand. We do. This is a podcast. If you want to go over to our Discord server, you can talk to us during the week. Suggest stories during the week that we can run to make other members of the chat leave. Uh, when that part's ready, uh, you can talk about it in our Discord server, vognetwork.com slash Discord. Uh, I'm pointing to a sports story on our Twitch feed because that one of our chatters is going to leave at that point. Uh, but I'll miss him very much. Um, and uh, uh, But uh, you can discuss on our Discord, submit stories uh, that you may want to hear about on the show, or just talk with other members of the community. So let's get right into uh, the, 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 the top thing that I was going to put talk about here. Uh, I, I tried, um, I tried the Apple Vision Pro this week. So how did this happen? So we, I, I actually talked about this when the Apple Vision Pro came out, cause everybody's like, why are you not wearing the Apple Vision Pro on the Twitch feed? Um, and, and it's because I'm not paying $3,500 for it. Not that I wouldn't pay that much. I did get a Microsoft HoloLens like eight years ago which was $3,000. So it's, I'm not above that. And the VR system I use most often was $1,000. So it's not like I'm going to, uh, it's not like I'm, I'm going to, not, not averse to, to spending that much. It's just, I didn't want the Apple vision pro, but I did get to put one on. The uh, how I got, how this happened was there is a local group that I've worked on multiple times uh, and it's called the Atlanta VR Meetup, the ATL VR Meetup. And uh, or now it's the XR Meetup. It used to be the AT, uh, Atlanta VR Meetup. Uh, but now it's the XR. XR is extended reality. So this is your, uh, Microsoft called it mixed reality before they got rid of it. Uh, but uh, extended reality is your virtual reality, augmented reality. And they did a uh, demo day with all of their things. They've got like the Vive Pro. They've got like the new Pico. Uh, they, they've got they got the, they had the Quest Three. Uh, they had they had um, the Quest Pro last time. I used a Quest Pro last time. Uh, I went to one of these, but they had the Apple Vision Pro. And uh, I'm putting up a picture that I put on social media. Everybody spies the Connect uh, because they also do. That's also a different type of augmented reality. So the company that does it uh, puts these on. Its name is Futurist. Uh, I've actually interviewed them on the show like back before this was a Twitch stream. So like I've I've been around th- this company uh, on on the outside since like 2013 when I started getting into VR. They were some of the first people I met in the VR scene here locally in Atlanta. But they do they're a marketing company. They make marketing experiences using VR and AR. And yes, the Connect 
is a type of AR device because you are able to interact with it. So that's why there's a connect in the background of the photo because they actually develop things it, that use the connect to check your body movements and stuff. And you see these all the time uh, or a lot of the time. Now I see them a lot of the time, um, like at the stadium, uh, when I go to, uh, you know, football matches, I will see there's a connect based system that lets kids act, kids act like they're kicking goals. So that's, that's why it's there. They're a marketing company. They do things like that. So, uh, so there's a lot of uses for the Microsoft Connect, just not for a consumer anymore, which is why they stopped making them for the consumer. But I tried the Apple Vision Pro when I was there, and it was it, it, there was there was obviously a line that was what most people were there uh, to do. And I am obviously now an expert in the Apple Vision Pro because uh, I was there for three minutes. So I'm actually going to show like just on the screen here. Uh, what I was, what I actually did. So, all I did in the Apple Vision Pro was uh, the what's called the dinosaur experience or the uh, the encounter dinosaurs. Everything I've heard about the Apple Vision Pro is that it has great demos, and then that's about it. Um, and so, in this demo, what I was able to do is I was able to to put um, you know I, I put on the the, the goggles. Uh, it was set to the person who owned it, uh, her specs, but it did an uh, automatic IPD adjustment, which is the interpupillary distance, the distance between your eyes. So it worked for me, but it what it didn't do like the full on eye tracking or anything like that. And what it does is this VR demo. There, there actually is, as far as I know, there's actually no true VR in the Apple Vision Pro. The Apple Vision Pro is a pass through camera. It's a very good pass through camera. Uh, of your surroundings, there's I, I, there's not that much latency. You can obviously tell it's not like real life. I wouldn't want to walk around wearing this thing, but it's got a good pass-through camera, and then it puts this VR in front of you. So you do not look through the glass. It is it is a VR device, the Apple Vision Pro. It is, it has, it's more AR in terms of augmented reality, but it's not like the HoloLens that was projecting holograms over your real life vision. This is actually just taking a camera. It's got 3D cameras on the Vision Pro and it is feeding that to you on a screen. So that's how they can do these things where you're looking into a window into another world. Uh, but it was interesting, this demo, because it's not just a video of you looking into the world of a, uh, of like where a dinosaur is uh, in the, you know, you basically, it, it acts like you're looking into a window into the distant past and then a dinosaur comes and then the dinosaur can see you. Um, and you can even reach out and try to pet the dinosaur. Now the dinosaur doesn't like that, but your hand is in front of the VR image. You can see your hand. Uh, the dinosaur will actually track your eyes. So if you move from the left to the right, they will keep watching you. Um, I tried to pet the dinosaur. The dinosaur snapped at me, so I booped it on the nose. Um, but, uh, um, and I, I actually, the, there's a video I'm playing here, and I don't know if this person actually, like, reached their hand out, but I did. And the dinosaur snapped at it. Um, so, you know, there's different ways you can, you know, use this device. Uh, and, and you'll also notice, like, the dinosaur comes out through the uh, th through the window, so it looks like it's looking, peering into your room. And it's a nice, neat effect. It actually does work. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so this user did not actually pet the dinosaur. Uh, I pet the dinosaur, and it did not like it. Uh, so, But it was able to track exactly where my hand was. It was able to do all of that stuff. Um, and uh, so it was an impressive demo. It was an impressive three minutes. Uh, Tireclaw asks, is it stereoscopic 3D? Of course it is. All VR headsets are. Uh, and I, since I am stereo blind, you've heard that I, I've told the story multiple times that I, uh, don't see in 3D in real life, but in VR, for whatever reason, I can actually see in 3D. Uh, or I, I, I do have depth perception, so I can actually perceive the volume of air behind objects, which is not something I have in real life. And yes, that happens here in the Vision Pro as well. Same with the camera. Uh, same with the camera of uh, like the pass-through camera. It actually did act as sort, somewhat of a corrective lens. So I held my hand up in front of a, 
of a table and I could actually, you know, have a little bit of depth perception of how far away my hand was from the table, which is not something I get in real life. So, yes, in the Apple Vision Pro that it is a stereoscopic 3D, it even feeds you a 3D image. It was like and but almost VR does that. Uh, it seemed like the screen was about on par with what I've seen from the PlayStation VR 2. So, uh, so it, it was fine. It was fine. It was definitely, I, and I mean, it, it is a much better screen than my Valve Index, which was a thousand dollars. Uh, and it does have the hand tracking pretty well. Uh, it does use eye tracking. And so this is the downfall of this right now because Apple does not have controllers. There's no controllers, no wands. It's literally just using your finger, which is exactly what the HoloLens did seven years ago, by the way. Um, So it's all that. But the way you select something is you look at it with your eyes. So you have to look at it with your eyes, whereas most VR headsets that only had like a single button or whatever, you looked at it with your head. And so you kind of like, it was like you had a, it's like you were a shark with a laser beam. You had a laser pointer coming out of your head and you would see the laser pointer lighting up something and you would turn your head to look at it and then you would hit the button. Apple said, no, you're going to look at it with your eyes. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because that was the hardest part of the experience for me personally. Uh, because I do have a, st- uh, uh, I have um, a se- severe astigmatism. I've got, I believe it's strabismus is the actual lazy eye condition that causes terrible blindness. I can never remember if it's amblyopia or strabismus. I, I can't remember which one I have, but it's one of the two. Um, but the 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 astigmatism and what that causes is that my eye darts around, whether I want it to or not. It's in a very impressive party trick. Uh, but I cannot stare directly at somebody. If you ever meet me in real life, you will notice that my head never actually faces you if I'm looking right at you. It's always looking to, at you f- to either to the right or the left, and then I'm using one eye to look at you, and the other one I'm actually like not not using. So Apple saying you have to use your eyeball to look at this little button, to and then you pinch your fingers, which can be anywhere. The, the, it sees all around you, so you can have the your finger, you know, down by your side and it would still see you pinching. Um, that was actually the hardest part because I couldn't keep the, the, I couldn't keep my eye focused on the start button the way the Apple vision pro wanted me to enough to be able to start the experience. Now, uh, could that be fixed by, uh, me having my own Apple vision pro and going through the entire eye tracking setup, the actual like 20 to 30 minute personalized eye tracking setup, uh, maybe. Uh, but for this demo, we didn't do that because we were just trying to get people in and out. So it was like five minutes per person. The fact that Apple has gone the same thing that the Connect did, the no controllers route or even a no wand route, um, that is going to make things a little bit more difficult for people to use. In order to unlock the headset, uh, you put in a passcode which uh, this person, luckily she gave all zeros. But if you put on the headset, you have to put in a passcode. You actually reach out with your finger and you push in the uh, the, the number uh, as it's in front of you. Um, so that's how you interact with that. There's also sometimes there can be a big red button and you reach out and you hit the button with like the fake button in the air. So you're actually holding out your hand, the, the keypad's in front of you and you just kind of poke at the number which for us was zero four times that was how she said hers uh she's changed it by now i'm sure the person who owns it but that night it was all zeros um so they're trying to do it that way so it was interesting um it was a very interesting demo it was a fun demo i wanted to do it one more time but there was a lot a lot of people and then the night was over and so i didn't get a second chance uh to kind of play more with it and kind of move around and, and stuff but it was interesting and, you know, I am, you know, I'm glad I tried it. Uh, I don't think I will try it again. But the other part of this entire experience had nothing to do with wearing that headset or any other headset. Because I've made the joke here on the show uh, that it's great that Apple finally invented VR. And I met somebody who literally took that seriously. And, and he was actually like, that is actually what he believed 
it was really interesting. There was somebody who is, um, I'm going to say a huge Apple fanboy, but he also did uh, admit to me that uh, he is, an inv- he bought Apple stock in like 2010 or something like that. So he's an Apple investor. He is invested in this ecosystem. He had never used VR until he got his Apple Vision Pro on day one because he's an Apple investor, and of course he's going to have it on day one. And he was there saying, this is a revolution. And he actually was like, I see all these other VR headsets, but I just can't fathom how any of these headsets could do anything that the Apple Vision Pro does. And he's like all about the ecosystem. He's like, I was watching Netflix on a big screen only on the Apple Vision Pro. I'm like, yeah, we were watching Netflix on big screens like six years ago. Trying to explain to him that nothing the Apple Vision Pro does by itself was revolutionary was kind of like pulling teeth. But it was nice because that's the type of people we need to get into VR for VR in general to get a little more acceptance mainstream. If they have to believe that Apple invented all these concepts, like watching Netflix on a big screen in VR, if they want, if that's what it takes, then for us to get more VR content across the board, uh, great. Uh, S. Jared Nomad says, Bobby in his head, bless his heart. Oh, I said it out loud, actually. I, uh, I, I kind of felt bad a little bit. But it was only like after trying to explain to him, I'm like, no. He's like, I was answering an email in VR. It was just hooked up to my MacBook Pro and the screen was up there. And I'm like, yeah, virtual desktops existed for like eight years. Um, and, you know, we're sitting there talking about things. Uh, I was talking with one of the developers who does like graphics programming for Futurist, actually. And we were talking about like the tricks that VR devices do. And this this was my favorite interaction of the night. We talk about tricks that uh, that all graphics stuff do. So I was trying to explain like graphics programming of like yes, you have a three D world, but if something's not in view of the camera, it doesn't render it. And there's algorithms and there's a lot of math that goes on, and that's how you can fit more in a space because we're only trying to render what you can see. Uh, and that's why it's harder for VR to do it because now you've got two monitors that you're rendering at slightly different angles than one. Uh, but one of the tricks that the Apple Vision Pro uses, which is also something that the PlayStation VR 2 does uh, is it knows because it's got the eye tracking it, what your eyes are looking at. That is what is super clear and super detailed. And the stuff on the periphery is, is a little bit blurry they, the, because you can't see it. Uh, and that's something the PlayStation VR 2 did. That's something a couple other uh, headsets before the PSVR 2 did. And that's what the Apple Vision Pro t- uh, does. And he came back and he's like, oh, oh Apple invented it and calls it foveated rendering. And I'm like, that's actually what everybody calls it because it's something we've had for a while. But he was like playing it off like Apple were the geniuses that came up with this term. And then he said, I have no clue what it means, but Apple are geniuses. I'm like, foveated rendering, FOV is field of view. It's rendering based on what your field of view in real time is at that time. Oh... Dark Tatsia says, is that guy for real? Yes, he is. He is all in on the Apple ecosystem. He tried the MetaQuest 3, and he's like, I have no clue how it would work. I don't know what it's doing. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's running Android. He's like, I didn't know it was running Android. And he like seemed repulsed that he had an Android device on his head. He kind of had like that revulsion. Because when you are that deep in a specific ecosystem... You want that when you, that is your life. And we talked about it a little bit last week on the console wars. He's all in on the Apple ecosystem. So, of course, he wants the Apple ecosystem to be best. He brought his own Apple Vision Pro with him, except it had his. Uh, he actually bought the prescription glasses to be able to, you know, the pre- prescription lenses because you cannot wear your glasses underneath. You can, but you can't. Um, people have, but really the Apple Vision Pro is not designed for glasses wear. So they want you to buy special lenses that drop into the, the Apple Vision Pro uh, so you can use it if you are a glasses wear. I roll my contacts, so it was no big deal. And and so he brought it with it because he wants more people to get Apple Vision Pros. Now, the reality is uh, Apple Vision Pros actually have a higher return rate right now than um, a lot of other new Apple products. But that being said, this is going to be the worst Apple Vision Pro they're ever going to make. The first Apple Watch, 
also had, you know, somewhat high returns. The first iPad had somewhat high returns. It, the, the first iPhone wasn't that much to write home about. It was really the third iteration of the iPhone, the second iteration of the iPad. Um, the Apple Watch, it took a couple iterations. This is only the first iteration. Tiger Claw says, uh, people who are into Apple don't tra- keep track of the PC world, even if PC world is a couple of years ahead until Apple catches up. Well, what Apple brings in is the style. And what Apple brings in is the ecosystem, because that was the that was the big thing that was told to me is that if you are fully plugged into the Apple ecosystem, the Apple Vision Pro is a revolution. If you're like me and you don't own an Apple product, except for I've got a MacBook Pro that my work pays for so I can do things that are Mac only, but it's so old, it doesn't even run the latest OS anymore, so I can't actually do that stuff. Um there's not much you can do with an Apple Vision Pro because you need the rest of the Apple ecosystem for it to work. It's not a stand. It is a standalone device, but it's not because you have to have, I think to set it up, you have to have an iPhone, like an Apple device, either an iPhone, an iPad or a MacBook. Pithream says now Apple just needs to invent AI. It's called Siri. Like Siri is their AI. It, It, that's what it is. It's just not an LL. It's not a Chat GPT like LLM, but Siri is the is the Apple AI. So I'm an expert on everything Apple Vision Pro. I've tried it. Uh, it was interesting. Um, it's there's not much there yet, but like I said, it's going to get better. But it was a good first step from Apple. It was it did have a very impressive display. It was very much a thirty five hundred dollar display, and um, yeah, I look forward to seeing how it where it goes from here. And what more we can, uh, we can, what more software we can get because now companies are excited about making VR software again because the Apple Vision Pro is out. Pacor says I set off his iPad for by talking about uh, Apple's version of the AI. I I apologize. That was not my intent. I I honestly apologize. It's really hard to talk about those uh, theirs and Amazon's without setting off people's devices. So I do sincerely apologize. I am sorry about that. Um, technical says it's the first version in a year from now, they'll have more apps for it. Yes. Now people are going to have these. And so they can start making apps for it. Although the person I talked to was not a technology guy at all. Uh, he was an Apple guy. And the great thing about Apple is it obfuscates a lot of the technology away, which is why a lot of people love Apple stuff. It just works. You don't need to tinker with an iPhone as much as you would need to tinker with an Android device. Uh, and that's why a lot of people love Apple. So he's not a technology guy at all. He can like spout out terms, but he doesn't know what they mean. He doesn't know anything about, uh, you know, doing like actually building the stuff. He just uses it. So, uh, so yeah. So let's talk about uh, the, some VR that's a little bit more affordable that might actually become one of the best values in high quality VR. Um, so Sony, uh, is still trying to push the PlayStation VR 2. There's a couple games coming out very soon. They put out a blog post this week, and I'm not going to talk about the games that are coming out for the uh, PS5 for the PSVR 2. Uh, I do have a PSVR 2. I have only used it a couple times. It has not been hooked up since. Um, but it's, it also is really neat hardware that has a lack of software, but that might change. Sony on their blog, and this is like direct from them, a quote on the PlayStation blog, quote, also, we are pleased to share that we are currently testing the the ability for PSVR 2 players to access additional games on PC to offer even more game variety in addition to the PSVR 2 titles available through PS5. We hope to make the support available in 2024, so stay tuned for more updates, unquote. So they're trying. You're going to need um, a more modern PC for it to work. I will tell you that they it basically it plugs in via USB-C cable uh, on the back of uh, the PlayStation 5. So you need an actual, honest to God, USB-C port, not a USB-A, which is the big, big one. You need an actual USB-C port on your motherboard or attached to your computer somehow via, you know, a, a PCIe card or whatever. Um but that theoretically, you would be able to just plug in that one USB-C cable and you would be able to use the PlayStation VR 2 hardware on PC. And I know that Steam VR, 
very specifically because that's the one I have the most uh, most m- most f- I'm most familiar with. Steam VR, they try to support as many different VR headsets as they can. You can actually run Steam VR titles on Oculus headsets. They've got it's basically it's the middleware. So you develop if you develop something for Steam VR, Steam VR does the okay. Well, this user is using an HTC Vive, so it's going to use. So I'm going to translate all your stuff and like make it work on that. Or a Valve Index, I'm going to translate all your stuff. It's going to work on that. Or if you're using an old Oculus Rift, I've got Oculus Rift stuff. It'll work on the Oculus Rift. Ocul- uh, Meta obviously has their own APIs that you can use instead instead of Steam VR, and they actually work a little bit better. But Steam VR works. It's not going to be as good as the native version, but it works. Uh, same with like the old Windows Mixed Reality headsets. Uh, you know, they, they also work through Steam VR. There's also something called OpenXR, I believe, uh, which is a more open source version of uh, of of like a kind of a generic VR thing. What I'm saying is that if they do this. And Steam VR and OpenXR, but really for me personally, Steam VR. Steam VR puts in automatic support for the PlayStation VR 2 into Steam VR. Then all of those Steam VR games I've been buying since they started selling Steam VR games in what was it, 2015, 2015? When did the HTC 5 come out? All of those games will now work with the PlayStation VR 2 headset. And they could even add in things for the uh, the the haptic feedback in your head, uh, and then using the dual sense triggers uh, the, or whatever they call I forget what they called the 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 motion control the the PSVR two controllers, um, you know all the stuff that they do with that and the inside out tracking and that would actually make it the best affordable as affordable as a PSVR two is, which is still you know it's not cheap but it's also not a thousand dollars like the valve index um it's going to make it the most affordable pc vr solution yes you are still tethered to the computer uh but i've never had a problem with that and even when i have used things like the apple vision pro i'm not walking around uh, from my room i'm you know staying close to my computer it's so this is amazing it is not something i expected but PSVR 2 has not sold well at all. It is amazing hardware with a lack of software. And if you can get the PSVR 2 working on PC, you solve the software problem for the PSVR 2 hardware. Now, that's not going to sell PS5s, but Sony's winning that. So I don't think that should be as big of a deal to them. Fifth Dream says, uh, I use Oculus on Steam, but I would look into PSVR 2 if I could use it on PC as well. Uh, and yes, like I have a PSVR 2 and it's sitting on the shelf looking all pretty. Uh, it's not collecting dust. It's actually looking pretty. But uh, it doesn't spend that much time hooked into the PS5. And part of that is because the room I play it in is a very dark room and the PSVR 2 does not track well in dark rooms. But uh, Gran Turismo 7 is amazing on it. Uh, Escher and Matt says, honestly, seems like a no-brainer move, especially when since Sony does not have the It game yet. Opening it on PC certainly will make it worthwhile. It pi- buys them the time to get that AAA VR game. Uh, I, it, honestly, and they're not going to get that AAA VR game until they sell enough units of the P- PSVR 2. Because every PSVR 2 could be plugged into a PS5. So if they sell more units of the PSVR 2 then that will convince a AAA studio to actually invest the time in making a game for the PSVR 2. But right now, there aren't enough units out there to make it worthwhile for anybody to invest the time to make a AAA game. This was like the shocker for me, because Sony did not think about this for the PSVR 1. They did not. Um, So, like, I didn't know I wanted this that badly. I thought... The biggest thing I wanted from PSVR 2 was the ability to do 3D Blu-ray playback. That's what I thought I wanted the best thing the PSVR 2 to do. Uh, because the PSVR 1 does that. You can play 3D Blu-rays on a PlayStation 4 with a PSVR 1. And they actually play in stereoscopic 3D. So like all those uh, 3D Blu-rays that are in the bargain bin at your old at a, at a flea market or, or a, a thrift store. Uh, you can actually play them in a PSVR 2. Uh, headset. You don't need a 3D TV. And I wanted them to bring that functionality to PSVR 2, and they haven't yet. 
I thought that was the biggest thing I wanted out of it, and now it's the second biggest thing because now I want it on my PC. So that I am very, very excited about. Uh, so the last story that I'm going to talk about is actually not about VR. Not, not this time. Um, so the last story I'm going to be talking about is about sports. So um, pop culture, it was good seeing you tonight. I know you're going to be leaving. But this is more about the business side of video games and how they are actually getting around some of the new laws. And I'm literally talking laws because, like, the Supreme Court has been on, on this and laws and all that stuff. Uh, about the upcoming college football games. So the college football video games ended in 2014 because a former player sued EA Sports for using his uh, likeness, not his name and his image, just his likeness, in a basketball game, essentially. And he got no compensation for it. Because back in those days, they didn't use your name. Uh, They didn't use a picture of you, but they... Like, when you were playing uh, in college football, they would be like, oh, the quarterback is this ha- this tall, this uh, th- this weight, uh, th- you know, this position, this number, and has these attributes. And it was the quarterback. They, it was just everything but the name. And EA got sued uh, and settled with uh, the person who put, put together the suit and said, we're going to stop making college football games, which was a bummer. Because I really enjoyed them. So it's it's a bummer for me. They're finally coming back now that it's gone through courts. It's gone through the Supreme Court. There are laws on the books in multiple states, uh, actually. And some of the guardrails the NCAA has tried to put up has actually been shot down by local courts. That happened in Tennessee this week. So there's a lot going on. But college football is coming back to video games, and EA is doing it. And Video Games Chronicle re- uh, reports that EA is asking more than 11,000 college football players to opt into being included in the EA Sports College football roster with a guaranteed payout of $600. Uh, According to, as reported by ESPN, the publisher has started sending contracts to players in the hopes that they will agree to be included in its upcoming title, EA Sports College Football 25. The game will include all 134 schools of the Division I Football Bowl subdivision of the NCAA, with all 134 agreeing to be officially licensed. Up to 85 players per school will be included in the game's rosters. However, in the past, college athletes were prohibited from being compensated for the use of their their names, images, or likenesses under NCAA rules, meaning previous college sports games have had to go without real player names. This changed in 2021 after the U.S. Supreme Court declared that the NCAA's rules stopping athletes from making a profit from their own names violated federal antitrust law. Since EA's last college football game was uh, NCAA Football 14, this means that College Football 25 will include real player names and images for the first time in a college football game as long as the players opt in. So uh, usually in pro sports... Uh, it's less administrative work. There's a union, a labor union, excuse me. There's, so there's a labor label, or there's a player union, labor union. I can speak, I promise. Such as FIF Pro, NFLPA, NBPA, NHLPA, or MLBPA to acquire the rights to entire swaths of players in one move, unless you're Michael Jordan and you don't let yourself be part of that. Uh, because college sports are amateur sports and the, uh, and, uh, the NCAA's new deal means players do have their own deals. Uh, EA is in the process of, uh, sending contracts to more than 11,000 players set to be added to the game's rosters, asking them to opt in. So if they opt in, they will get $600 plus a free copy of the game. I don't, it'll probably be the $70 edition, not the $100 edition. It's EA. Come on. Uh, if they remain a college player the following season, appear in a potential college football 26 next year, they will be paid again. Players are not expected to perform any additional tasks for the money, and the payout is guaranteed regardless of whether the game is a success. They're also planning 100 separate deals for specific athletes, presumably those who are the best players or have the largest followings, to work with EA Sports on promoting the game, be that via social media posts, on-campus promotions, as or being the cover star. If a player chooses not to opt in, they will be replaced by a generic player, and this is the important one. Generic player whose stats will be based on the historical strengths and weaknesses of players in that position at that school for the past decade. So if the star quarterback doesn't want to be in the game, 
they will have a generic quarterback that does not match that star quarterback's stats. It will instead be, how has the quarterback at this school been for the past decade? It's going to be an uh, you know a mishmash of all that. So that's the way they're getting around that part so they don't get sued. EA Sports Senior Vice President Daryl Holt told ESPN that users simply won't be able to edit in the real names of opted play- out players in the game. He says, quote, I won't reveal how we're dealing with that, but yeah, you won't be able to edit that, unquote. Um, so because what you would do... In the past, because and they they actually like let you do this like in the game. You could, there was actually the EA Vault online vault. Everybody had a vault, and you could share your roster updates for all the teams. And what you what people would do is they would get an early copy of the game, and EA would actually provide these early copies. This was like 20, 2013, 2014, that type of stuff. They would get early copies of the game. They would get all of the roster guides and the media guides for all the teams. And they would go in and edit in the names of all the players because the the stats were the same and, you know, all that stuff. They just put in the names and then they uploaded them to EA servers and you could download them from EA servers. Uh, you can actually still do this today with NCAA football 14 on the Xbox 360. You can still go in and there are people that actually make current day rosters. So they also edit all the stats and they do all that. So you can actually play NCAA football 14 with today's rosters. There's a, there's a whole community around that, but, and, and, and even EA even added in keyboard support because for the longest time people were using a controller to enter in all these names and they finally put in like keyboard support in 2013. So EA is like, Oh yeah, we don't have the real players in here. Anytime you see a real player name, it's, it's, uh, I don't know what's going on. So this is how they're getting. So what they're probably going to do, is they're not going to let you put in the name of the player. So it's going to be interesting how that gets around the law because if the game knows that the quarterback's real name that opted out is some name and you try to put in that name and it doesn't let you, is the name profiting off of your name? That's going to be like, and they're not, they're obviously not saying how they're going to deal with it because now if the game actually does contain data of a player who's opted out and they are not compensated, what is the law there? S. Jaron Matt says, uh, EA still does com- uh, shared community roster updates. The NHL franchise has that feature now. Folks are adding the college prospects with those updates. But this is different because the NCAA compensation rules are a mess. And that's because there's different compensation rules in every state. Because uh, every state has different laws on the books about name, image, and likeness. And so when you go from when a college athlete goes from one state to another, they now enter a different jurisdiction and that school has to follow different rules. And anytime the NCAA tries to put like generic rules in, like we saw in Tennessee this week, uh, where they didn't want um they they said you can't have an NIL deal uh for um while you're in the transfer portal or during the recruiting process, you can't start negotiating NIL deals until you've actually signed with the team. Uh, that was a guardrail NCAA put up. Uh, Tennessee threw that out. They said that's unconstitutional. So, Because what was happening is players were going in the transfer portal and they were getting NIL deals to convince them which school they want to transfer to, which basically turns college football into a uh, a professional sport at that point. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, So uh, Tennessee said, uh, no, you can't stop them from having contracts about their name, image, and likeness while they're in the transfer portal. So that's what I mean about, like, every state has something different. Because in Tennessee, you can't do that. In Georgia, you can because it's not against the law in in Georgia. It's only against the law in Tennessee. Going back to the video game how do they stop you from changing the generic quarterback to the quarterback that they opted out, that opted out? How are they going to stop you without using that quarterback's name, image, and likeness, or just name and likeness, really? How are they going to stop you without having that opted out quarterback name and likeness in the game? It's going to be like Grand Theft Auto 3. They got in trouble with the court. 
the law because the lawyer found that if you patched the PS2 version and you modded in a doorway, essentially, or a trigger to go to this AO-rated, adults-only rated uh, sex scene, the hot coffee thing, that they were liable. Yeah, you couldn't access it in the game, but it's in the game. And that is why Grand Theft Auto 3 had an, had to be changed to an AO rating because you could modify the game to get to content that was in the disc that winning had against the rating. And I want, you know, EA's got to be very careful about how they do this because they can't have that opted out person name and likeness on the disc, but they need to do something to prevent you, the player, from putting that person's name and likeness into your game without their permission. That is a very fascinating problem to, that they're going to have to solve, and I, I am very interested in seeing how they solve that problem legally. Uh, and I And I wonder if somebody if we're going to see a lawsuit from somebody who opted out or, or rather did not opt in, uh, it, this is an opt in feature. You, so if you don't respond, you're not in. Um, but somebody who did not opt in and made a conscious decision to not opt in, if they will sue EA because they could not create themselves in the game, because the only way that reason they couldn't create themselves in the game is because they were in the game. They were just in the blacklist. As Sharon Matt says, you could you could use block terms. The WWE games used to block folks from creating a wrestler with the name Chris Benoit, but that meant that Chris Benoit's name was on the disc because how else did it know to block those terms? Legally, could that be, you know, could, you know, that that's the tricky part because, you know, legally, Chris Benoit is in, is in those WWE games. But he's not. But does this, since his name is in those WWE games, is anybody left in his family entitled to compensation? Um, you know, because they are his name his he is in the game. It's just in the code because it's got to, it's 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 really it's a it's a tricky situation. I am not a lawyer. I'm a programmer. Uh, so I can think of multiple ways that they they would be able to block you from creating a player who did not opt in, uh, but they all involve putting that player's details into the game. So uh, hopefully they've got smarter people working there than I do. Uh, I am going to take a very quick music break, and then we're going to take your calls because there is no Orange Launch Radio tonight. So if you want to call in and talk about this uh, or anything else uh, that's not sports-related, uh, there is a green room voice chat channel in our discord server, vognetwork.com slash discord. Uh, and you can call in and chat about anything going on in the gaming industry. Or, you know, if you're excited about final fantasy seven rebirth coming out on uh, leap day, uh, I believe it's, I believe it's coming out on leap day. Yeah. So February 29th. Um, are you excited about that? Have you been playing the demo? Um, or, or if you're playing like a dragon, infinite wealth, I'm, you know, I can talk about that, but we'll do that on the other side of the music break. You're participating with the Bobby Blackwell Show here in the Voice Geeks Network at twitch.tv slash vognetwork. Wait, you don't know Kamoshida? Are you for real? For real? For real? For real? What up, everybody? This is Max Middleman, voice of Saitama and One Punch Man, Ryuji in Persona 5, King in Seven Deadly Sins, and a whole host of other characters. You are participating in the Bobby Black Wolf Show. Get it? For real? For real. For real? For real? For real? He's also Red 13 in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So, you know, we didn't know about that in 2019 when I recorded that bumper at Dragon Con with him when after I was on a panel with him uh, and, and and Robbie Damon and Ray Chase, uh, other amazing voice actors, really funny voice actors. Robbie Damon, um, he's Zhao in Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth. That's what I'm playing now, but uh, he's also the, the lead in Hi-Fi Russian. Ray Chase was Noctis in Final Fantasy XV. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, but he's a Red 13 in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Max Middleman is. Um 
And uh, he's in Genshin Impact. And, you know, yeah. And Dark Desia says, you know, we're playing through Persona 3 on Xbox right now. Are you playing Persona 3 Reload or Persona 3 Portable? Because those are the same game, but not. Um, Because Reload is out now on Game Pass. Portable is no longer on Game Pass. It was removed. Uh, but it was on Game Pass for the longest time. Pre- Reload. So Persona 3 Reload, the game that came out. I'd like to start it, but I am... Uh, so he's playing Persona 3. They, they, they are playing Persona 3 Reload. And um, and uh, is uh, I, I would be playing it, but I'm still playing Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth. I'm in the finale. I've put over 80 hours into it. Uh, into Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, which is Yakuza 8. It's the Yakuza series. Um, and I, I am still loving it. Um, I am over leveling. That's, that's why I'm at 80 hours is because I am like over leveled. I, I probably, I, I have enough levels to complete the game comfortably at this point. I think I'm like up to like level 54 on my main characters. And I think like the boss of the entire game, like I, I, I'm not going to say who it is or anything like that, but from what I read, he's level 52. So I'm already leveled past the boss. Um, and uh, But overleveling is fun in that game. Questbuster even says, yeah, like giving all the, the, the funny jobs to people and things like that. So um, it's I was so overleveled that they introduce a character very late in the game and becomes a playable character, and he came in 10 levels below my group. So I'm like, well, he's really squishy. Like, I can't, how am I supposed to be able to use, use him? Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm yeah, and Dark Sea says thanks for no spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything about Persona, even though, like, Persona Three is a game from you know 15 years ago. I'm not going to spoil it here on the show. Kind of like how it's like I'm you know not going to spoil Final Fantasy VII, even though like the big twist of Final Fantasy VII you can actually kind of see in the demo of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And if you think I'm talking about the twist at the end of disc one, I am not. That is not the big twist of Final Fantasy VII. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, yeah, you're probably going to really enjoy Rebirth because, uh, yeah, the big twist is going to have to change a little bit. Or you can even, you can if you know what it is and you played the demo, you might have been able to tell. Uh, so Rebirth comes out this week. I'm hoping to actually finish, uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. By the time that happens, I have a couple days. I'm in the finale. Uh, I am in the first half of the finale. So people who, because I think Questbusters in chat, and he's like, oh, yeah, I did this. And I'm like, I am in the first half of the finale. Um, I'm about to go through the first half of the finale. And then I'm going to have to level up because one side of my group is really leveled up and the other side is not. Um... So, uh, so yeah, but I am really enjoying Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. It's taken up 80 hours of my time in just the last month, which means I haven't been able to play Persona 3 Reload, and then Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is coming out, which I am getting on physical. I'm getting it on physical because it's on two discs, which means it's like 150 gigs, and I have a data cap, so I'm going to buy the physical version. I'm actually buying the physical version from Best Buy because that's the place I can come pick it up. I'm going to go drive over there and pick it up. I know they're getting rid of physical games. But, you know, maybe if I buy physical games from them, they'll see what a bad decision it is to get rid of physical games from retail. Uh, it's not going to work, but it makes me feel better. RPG people are eating real good right now because Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth is an amazing JRPG. It's not a traditional-looking JRPG. It's not what you're thinking of, uh, but it's really good. Persona 3 Reload is a fantastic... Uh, variation on the Persona 3 story. We do not have a definitive version of Persona 3. There is no definitive version of Persona 3. Uh, but Reload is the latest attempt. And then Final Fantasy VII Rebirth um, is 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 looking really good. I played through both parts of the demo. There was a demo of, one, of the Nibelheim sequence that came out originally. Then one of the open world things. And I didn't... I opened, like, the Junon open world, so you can, like, do exploration and side quests and fiend things, and I didn't spend that much time in that because that's dropping you, like, halfway through the game, or not halfway through, but, like, a couple hours into the game when they've already taught you all the battle systems 
And so I was not playing it all that well because I didn't get to like learn those characters. It's like, oh, here you go. And here's the fiend. And here's, you know, three objectives. Oh, you only did two of them because we didn't, we haven't taught you how to do it. You learned already before you got here how to pressure things. So I just went straight to the end and it was a whole like, I was like, am I playing like a dragon infinite wealth? In this boss thing. If you've played the Junon all the way to the end to the boss fight at the end of the Junon sequence that came out on Monday, I think, in the demo. Uh, yeah, I felt like I was playing like a Dragon Infinite Wealth a little bit on that. Um, I do want to address something about Infinite Wealth that was asked um, a, about a month ago. And I don't know if Tiger Claw is in chat. Because in the trailer of Infinite Wealth, there was a thing about... Uh, there was a scene of like a shark eating people in the middle of a battle. And I was talking about like the, the, the narrative device that like a dragon uses for its protagonist, uh, Ichiban Kasuga, is that he grew up, this is in universe, he grew up playing Dragon Quest. And it literally is Dragon Quest, not Fantasy Star. They actually reference and pay Square to be able to reference Dragon Quest for its name, image, and likeness. And... They uh, And so when he goes into battle, he sees himself as a hero, like in Dragon Quest, and that's why all the enemies change, that's why he changes, that's why it becomes this turn-based battle system, that's the in-universe explanation. And Tiger Claw asked a couple months ago, he's like, so is the shark a hallucination? Because they, they basically play it off as a hallucination in the game, uh, that Ichiban's having hallucinations, and the rest of his party members are like, we're just beating people up, that's all we're doing. Um, is the shark... A hallucination of Ichiban's, or is it actually there? Uh, now that I've gotten past that sequence, the shark is actually there. So, not everything that is off the wall is a hallucination. There's just things that are off the wall. But no, the, the shark is actually there for everybody. And it, it's, you know, if, for that sequence, it is a plot point. Uh, Terraclaw says, even the dolphins, even the dolphins. Well, I mean, the dolphins aren't in the shark sequence. So now that I'm thinking what you're talking about... Uh, the the dolphins are in the summon graphic, or in the the essence graphic, which is essentially your the limit, analogous to the limit breaks in Final Fantasy. They have like these essence of uh things, and uh, the dolphins are in that. So yeah, those are probably the loose stations. But the shark in the middle of a boss battle, that's actually like a game mechanic, and they actually explain it in the plot why that's happening. And there are uh, yes, and there are also possessed, uh, possessed excavators, which which is a thing that was also in the last game. Possessed excavators. They even made a joke that like again, we have to fight two excavators again. Um, and yes, the uh, quest special says the shark is real. This is a series that had Kiryu and Saitama uh, punch tigers. Uh, like a dragon, the uh, Yakuza like a dragon also had a tiger punching thing, but also the in the punching of the tiger in Yakuza Seven, which was Yakuza like a dragon, that also was real because that was not a hallucination because the, it was a pet tiger of the Yakuza's you were invading or raiding, and the pet tiger was let out, so you had to defeat the pet tiger. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I I love it all. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so Final Fantasy VII Rebirth coming out on Thursday. Uh, apparently that's also like a, you know, 60 to 70 hour thing if you kind of casually go through it. Um, Persona 3 Reload is probably an 80 or 90 hour experience like all Persona games are. Um, can we just stop releasing games I care about for a while? Don't stop releasing games. Like, release games like Helldivers 2. I don't care about playing Helldivers 2. I don't need to spread freedom that much. Um, but, you know, so release more games like that for those people. G give me some time. to. to and SJR Matt says, the gang of guys cosplaying as babies are very real as well. Yes. Uh, over across two games. All right. So um, that is uh, going to be it for me. Um, I did not see anybody going to the green room, but we were going to chat about this. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so uh, unfortunately, or actually, you know, I'm going to say, unfortunately for us, fortunately for Rob Roberts, there is no Orange Lounge Radio tonight. So if you were kind of waiting for me to bring Rob on, he not it's not happening. Uh, Rob is currently on the Star Trek cruise uh, and having a great time. 
Uh, he's going to have some amazing stories to tell uh, when he gets back. Uh, so there is no Orange Lounge Radio tonight, uh, because uh, which is you know sad for us, but great for Rob because he is having an amazing vacation, and I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous. Um, as Sharon and Matt does say, stop releasing games or pinball machines. Stop releasing cool tables as well. The Princess Bride table is actually nice, and I actually probably should have mentioned this. Uh, here at the very end, I don't even know how many people are still listening on the podcast, but let me see if I can find this real quick. Uh, so th- there was a pinball machine that was uh, announced uh, on Monday. So it was after the last show, right? Of course. Um, and it was it's uh, the Princess Bride. So this is a pinball machine from Multimorphic. And this uh, Multimorphic is the P3 system. So this is the pinball machine that has basically a big video. Uh, it has a big monitor for the bottom half of the play field. And then the top is modular. So their gimmick is you buy the machine for like $13,000, which is a lot of money. But then you can buy a game, th- these different back parts, the back, the actual game for like $4,000 instead of $13,000. And so this is the same company that does the Weird Al table. So theoretically, if somebody purchased the Weird Al Yankovic pinball table, which came out uh, two, uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, they would have spent $13,000 on that. It would have had all the Weird Al Yankovic side art, the back glass, and the t- maybe the topper and all that stuff. But then for $4,000, they could buy the Princess Bride pinball table, take out the Weird Al uh, actual play field, put in the Princess Bride play field, and now you've got the Princess Bride game. It takes about a minute and a half. It takes, if you know what you're doing, it takes a minute to swap out the play field. It would probably take me about five minutes to swap it out. It's really the back part. Uh, is what you basically, you unplug three wires, you pull it out, you put the other one in, you plug those three wires back in, and you turn it on. Um, that's all you got to do. Now, all the art on the side of your cabinet would obviously still say Weird Al. The back glass would say Weird Al, but the actual game would be the Princess Bride game. Uh, you can buy the Princess Bride back glass uh, and put it in so you could at least have that. So, uh, But that's Multimorphic's kind of deal is that you buy the table for 13000 but then additional games for it are only two to $4,000 each. Uh, they're one, there's that aren't, the ones that aren't licensed are actually are like closer to $2,000 because they make a lot of games that are like just their own property, their own IP. Um, and uh, so they are, you know, those are about $2,000 for the kit that just drops in. So, and I think they've got like 10 or 10 or 11 games. So it's kind of like, so actually, they've got a lot more because the the video I was playing actually shows all of the different kits. And there's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. So there are twenty-one games that you can play. Uh, and each game is anywhere from two to four thousand dollars, except for your first one will be thirteen thousand dollars because that's the full cabinet. Uh, that's the full thing. So uh, yeah, so it, honestly. Um, I own two, uh, real pinball machines. I own the Mandalorian, which is the new Stern, the Stern one from like 2020 and then Rush, uh, which was 2022. And actually they, Weird Al was announced while I was unpacking my Rush pinball machine. Like I was literally like opening up the box and like got these things like Weird Al just announced a pinball machine. I'm like, dang it. Um, if they have enough other licensed properties that are cool, uh, the Mandalorian might get sold and I might try to get a weird owl, like you get the weird owl machine and then get some of these kits. Anyway, I talked too long about that. Uh, so that is it for me. I will be back next Sunday night. Orange Lounge Radio is not here tonight, unfortunately. So stay tuned. We're going to raid somebody after the show. Uh, but that is it for me. I will be back next Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, right here at the Voice Geeks Network Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Network. Come join us, interact with the show directly, and maybe I'll talk about stuff you want to hear about. Maybe I'll talk about Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I'm not sure. Um, man, I can't, I would love to do a spoiler cast at in a couple weeks of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I wanted to do it with Remake because I really wanted to talk about some of the stuff they did at Remake. 
because a lot of people didn't like the way they what they did with remake and the story beats that they did with remake and i got it and i'm like i see what they're doing this is fantastic a lot of people didn't understand it they wanted a straight one-to-one retelling of final fantasy 7 and it's not but the but the reason it's not as amazing and rebirth is going to have more of that and I really, really want to talk about it, but I'm not. I promise you, it will not be on this podcast feed. It will not be on at this time on Vogue Network. So do not worry. I do actually care about the, uh, about that stuff. Uh, so, but I will be back next Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, to talk generally, non-spoilery about remake and maybe the end of Infinite Wealth and stuff. Uh, so come join us then, uh, or on our discord server, vognetwork.com slash discord. Uh, so, uh, I'm on social media at Poppy Blackwolf, just about everywhere. Uh, but also our discord server is really the best way to get in touch with me. If you like the show, tell a friend, if you hate the show, tell an enemy, I don't care. Just tell someone the show is not for everybody, but it may be for somebody who does not know about it yet. But we would not be able, make, be able to make all this work without the help of the chatters who go above and beyond. So thank you so much, Tiger Claw, for resubscribing to our Twitch channel, as well as Orange Wright for resubscribing. Thank you so much for that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and hit the button because uh, I have to cough just a little bit, and I don't want to cough on the stream here. I'm going to go ahead and hit the button and uh, start the music. There's the music. That's the right button. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the JRPGs that are out now. They, they are all amazing. I will see you next week. Bye. A winner is you. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the opinions of the Vogue Network. People who need to hire new voiceover guys. Or your mom. Although if Bobby said it, it really should be. This has been a production of Bobby Blackwolf Studios.